Howdy, folks. This is Jimmy Aiken of the Jimmy Aiken Podcast, and you're listening to Catholic Foodie. It slices, dices, and makes julienne fries. This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 134 of the Catholic Foodie, Easter Crawfish and the French Quarter Festival. Well, Mr. DL, are we going to do us some singing or what? Oh, the father we will. Well, ladies and gentlemen, DL Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and today we're talking Easter crawfish and the French Quarter Fest. Now, what exactly do I mean by Easter crawfish? Well, You know, crawfish season and Easter coincide each year since the high point of crawfish season spans the months of March, April, and May. And by the way, Easter is not over. (laughs) Not at all. We are now in the Easter season, looking forward to the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Anyway, it's no coincidence that there are crawfish boils all across South Louisiana on Easter Sunday and Good Friday too, but we'll talk more about that shortly here on The Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. And if you're not from around these parts, you might be wondering to yourself, why are crawfish such a big deal down here anyway? Well, I will tell you in this episode, and I'll also have some tips for you on boiling your own crawfish, or maybe on how to how to make it through your first crawfish boil if you're ever, you know, if you're invited to one. And uh, also I have a quick tutorial on how to peel crawfish. This past weekend was French Quarter Fest in New Orleans, and we spent the day there Friday I'll tell you more about the history, the music, and the food of what has been called the kickoff to festival season in New Orleans. And uh, we're going to start the show off by thanking our sponsor today. Our sponsor is Studio Press and the Genesis Framework. This episode of The Catholic Foodie is sponsored by Studio Press. There's no getting around it. If you want an attractive and highly functional website or blog, you have to use the right tools. Free themes and free help from your friends will only take you so far, which is why I recommend Studio Press and the Genesis Framework. Mashable calls Genesis the best of the best among premium frameworks. The Genesis turnkey designs give you an array of beautiful frames for your content. The design settings give you unprecedented control of the framework. And with Genesis, you get unlimited support, unlimited updates, and unlimited websites. There's no developer option here. One low price entitles you to support, updates, and domains. To find out more about what Studio Press and Genesis Framework can do for you, go to catholicfoodie.com slash studiopress. Anyway, like I was saying, shrimp is the fruit of the sea. You can barbecue it, boil it, broil it, bake it, saute it, based on shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried, deep-fried, stir-fried, there's pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp, shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp salad, shrimp and potatoes, shrimp burger, shrimp sandwich. That's that's about it. (laughs) Well, we're not talking shrimp this episode. We're talking crawfish. And as I mentioned in the opening, you know, Easter and crawfish season coincide every year. And that certainly has a lot to do with the abundance of crawfish boils on Easter weekend. You know, I called four or five days in advance to reserve my sack of crawfish. And by the way, there's a reason that I called it Easter weekend. Uh, Here's where cultural Catholicism can perhaps hinder rather than help. You know, my humble opinion, there's a big difference between Good Friday crawfish, and Easter crawfish. Can you imagine crawfish boils on Good Friday? (laughs) Well, yeah, it it happens a lot. (laughs) You know, there are several Good Friday traditions in New Orleans. One of them is what we call the Pilgrimage of the Nine Churches. We're not quite sure why it is nine churches. It probably has something to do with the Catholic tradition of novenas. And it also uh, is not written in stone which nine churches you visit on Good Friday. There are so many churches in the New Orleans area that folks have a choice of, w- of which route they would like to take and, and where their destination is. 
You know, those of us who are uh, strict observers, and I guess I'm including myself in that number, but we have cut the corners here and there too, uh, but strict observers of the tradition make the pilgrimage on foot, and that is something that we do every year for sure, or not actually every year. We we took a few years off. This this past year was our first time back, this past Good Friday. Uh, but others, you know, for health reasons or other reasons, drive from church to church. And uh, Friday, we started at St. Stephen's uptown around 10 o'clock, and uh, we made our way down to Old St. Patrick's on Camp Street in time for the 3 o'clock service. And, uh, you know, we've made the Good Friday pilgrimage several times in our lives. Char and I used to do it a lot when we were first married. And, and the first, uh, matter of fact, I mean, the first several years when our kids were really small, we made that. And back then we had to push strollers. <laughs> and uh, New Orleans is not known for good streets nor good sidewalks. So <laughs> it was quite a bumpy ride for the kids, I'm sure. Uh, we did take a few years off recently, but then we got back into it this past Good Friday. And man, it was really a tremendous blessing. But I will admit that on one of those pilgrimage, uh, pilgrimages, is this, uh, we did end up at a crawfish boil. <laughs> and I'll have to tell you about that. Huh, how, how can I explain this? Well, uh, you know, there are only two days of fasting in the entire year, um, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Uh, even then, fasting, as defined by the church, is very limited. You know, here's the way it, uh, it is stated. Uh, the law of fasting requires a Catholic from the 18th birthday to the, 30, to the 59th birthday to reduce the amount of food eaten from normal. The church defines this as one meal a day and two smaller meals, which, if added together, would not exceed the, 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 the main meal in quantity. Such fasting is obligatory on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. The fast is broken by eating between meals and by drinks, which could be considered food, like uh, milkshakes, but not milk. Alcoholic beverages do not break the fast. However, they seem contrary to the spirit of doing penance. And that quote right there was from The Holy Season of Lent. It's an article over on EWTN. Dot com And there's a, a link there in the show notes if you'd like to check that out. Now, if boiled crawfish is the only meal that you eat on Good Friday, then technically you can make an argument that you are still fasting. However, I usually eat more than normal when I eat crawfish, not less. And the first stipulation of fasting is to reduce the amount of food normally eaten. Again, I wonder how penitential eating crawfish and drinking beer is, even if it is the only meal eaten that day. Now, I confess that I have in my lifetime gone to two crawfish boils on Good Friday. Both of them were hosted by very devout families, and all invited were close friends from either church, the church parish or from ministries, and uh, we really did have a wonderful time. It was a wonderful celebration, a holy celebration, really celebrating Jesus in our midst, you know. Uh, and I should mention, too, that both of those crawfish boils happened in the late afternoon, early evening hours. So if you were going to be a real stickler for liturgy, you could say that, uh, you know, you've almost passed, from the Jewish tradition at least, almost have uh, passed into the next day. Still, even though it was in the background, there was a tinge of guilt in my conscience. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Am I, am I splitting hairs here? Uh, crawfish on Good Friday is a huge, huge thing down here in South Louisiana, in New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Lafayette. And, uh, you know, from, from my perspective, personally, I, I just feel like, you know, well, let me, get, let me do, I'll tell you this. My, uh, my good friend, Dwayne DeRoche, who is, we call him Big D. He is my, my son's godfather. This is how he put it. He says it ain't right for folks to be boiling crawfish, eating boiled crawfish, and, and drinking beer at the same time that the God man is hanging on the tree. All right, that, that's his take on it. I, I kind of agree with that, you know? I mean, there's something sacred about Good Friday that would sort of preclude boiling crawfish. Yet, culturally speaking, right, cultural Catholicism, boiled crawfish is a big deal <laughs> on Good Friday. 
this is just one of those cultural stumbling blocks I guess I have. Uh, but anyway, so am I splitting hairs? I don't know. But I do know that crawfish on Easter Sunday makes perfect sense and actually fulfills our duty to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And crawfish are a big deal throughout the Easter weekend, and that is why I ordered my sack four or five days in advance. You know, you don't want to take a risk, take a chance of not getting any. Now, you know, this past uh, Sunday, or, or this past Easter Sunday, we were heading to Baton Rouge for Mass. Uh, our youngest niece was baptized that morning, so I had to get up early and run to the seafood market to pick up the crawfish as soon as the market opened, which was, I think, 8 o'clock. I was there just a few minutes after 8, and boy, you know, these folks had a system. Listen to this. This was incredible. I was I should have taken pictures. I didn't. I was in a hurry, but man, I was blown away. There were three big pickup trucks in the parking lot, each piled high with sacks of crawfish, and each row of the sacks, right, each row was layered with ice, and all three piles in those three trucks were covered on top with ice. That in itself was just a beautiful sight. Now, there was a lady there with a book, and she took my name, and she searched my order, because, you know, you got to make sure you're legit and all, to, uh, made sure my name was in the book, and uh, she pulled a, they pulled a sack for me, 35 pounds. They handed me the little ticket so I can go inside and pay while they put the sack of crawfish in the ice chest that I had waiting in the back of the van. Man, you talk about a system. They, they had a system. It was incredible. Yeah, I'm telling you, the whole process didn't take three minutes. It was amazing. Uh, anyway, I kept the, the sack of crawfish in the fridge uh, at home while we went to Baton Rouge for Mass, the baptism, then on to lunch uh, with my parents. Uh, we wanted to see our, uh, my parents on Easter and so we went and had lunch with them. We returned home about 5 o'clock in the afternoon and started preparing the ball, boil, rather, uh, in the pot that my mom and dad gave me last year for my birthday. So that was cool. It was a pot this year with no holes in it. <laughs> my, if you could listen to some past episodes of The Catholic Foodie and even see last year I, I did a video of, um, of our Easter crawfish extravaganza, you can find that on YouTube, or the link is also there on CatholicFoodie.com. But uh, you can see where my old pot, I had holes in the pot, where it just over time, it was it's an aluminum pot, big old huge crawfish, you know, aluminum pot, about 120-quart pot. But over time, I've had it for years, you know, the salt and the seasonings of the crawfish, if you don't clean those pots well enough, or even if you do, eventually, they're going to start to pit. And uh, the more you use it, the more pitting you have, and eventually those pits will turn into little holes that I used to plug with wooden skewers. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm serious. And um, after seeing that video last year, my mom and dad decided, boy, this, this boy needs a new pot. So <laughs> they ordered me a new crawfish pot. So thanks, mom and dad, again for that, that great gift. So I started to prepare the boil in that pot after we got home. Uh, Big D had some family stuff he was attending to. And he was coming over to celebrate with us, though it's a tra tradition we have uh, on or around Easter that Big D will come and we'll, we'll do a big crawfish boil. So anyway, the crawfish were glorious. You know, we've had crawfish maybe a handful of times so far this season, and these were the biggest ones we've had so far. It was, they were incredible. And, uh, you know, again, if you're not from around here, you might ask yourself, why are crawfish such a big deal in Louisiana anyway? Well, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> Y'all help us out now. Here we go. Waiting in the front of your sitting on logs. Single shot of rifle in a one-night dog. Gonna come my kid folk in the moonlight. Louisiana Saturday night. Well, you get down the fiddle and you get down your bow. You kick off your shoes and you throw them on the floor. You dance in the kitchen till the morning. Crawfish are abundant, you know. I mean, you can imagine they're, they're indigenous here. They're part of this area. They're abundant in the swamps and marshes all across South Louisiana. And uh, they were a favorite food of the early settlers of Louisiana, too. And according to the Crawfish Cookbook, which I have a link to that uh, in the show notes at catholicfoodie.com, both market incentives and technological advances have expanded the crawfish, Louisiana crawfish industry to include farming as well as fishing in the wild. It was back in the 1960s that crawfish farming made its debut with the cultivation of crawfish in man-made ponds. 
using controlled water levels, forage management, and water recirculation techniques to produce a highly marketable product. And what you see, what you find if you drive through, especially the Lafayette area, you have crawfish fields, which are also used in part, the other part of the year, they're used to cultivate rice. So the rice, uh, they, can, they can farm rice and crawfish in the same fields. And it really is the way that they, that it's a very, it's a symbiotic relationship between the two. But anyway, to continue the quote from the Louisiana Crawfish Cookbook, it says that during the next 35 years, crawfish farming developed into the largest freshwater crustacean aquaculture industry in the United States. Louisiana leads the nation, producing more than 90% of the domestic crop. More than 1,600 farmers produce crawfish in some 111,000 acres of ponds, and more than 800 commercial fishermen harvest crawfish from natural wetlands, prim- primarily the Atchafalaya Basin. The combined annual yield ranges from 75 million to 105 million pounds. And the total economic impact on the Louisiana economy exceeds $120 million annually. And more than 7,000 people depend directly or indirectly on the crawfish industry. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know, the crawfish season generally runs from December until July, but crawfish are most plentiful in March, April, and May. And nowadays, you know, you can get frozen crawfish tails year-round. And uh, we do purchase those frozen tails from time to time to make crawfish etouffee in particular, and other dishes, but mainly crawfish etouffee. Live crawfish always start out more expensive at the beginning of the season, sometimes well over $3 a pound. Uh, But as the season wears on and the crawfish become more plentiful, the prices drop. And then toward the end of the season, the crawfish are older and the shells are, uh, they can get kind of hard. So you can still get them. The crawfish are still good, but uh, it could be a little more painful to peel them and eat them. Now, the crawfish I bought for Easter ran me about $2.39 a pound, and uh, the prices are expected to drop as we continue through April April, and enter into May. So that's a good news. That is good news for us. I love the price drop during crawfish season. It means we get to boil more. So, uh, you know, WWL-TV, a local news channel here, and I've got my phone ringing in the background. I apologize for that. I forgot to take it out of the room. Uh, this is podcasting, folks. We are live podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But WWL-TV, local channel here in New Orleans, ran a short clip about crawfish over the Easter weekend. And let's take a listen to what they reported. From the spillway and farm ponds upriver. Oh, yeah, we're selling them like crazy right now. So it's good. Business is good. To the back of the house at Big Fisherman Seafood, Inc. on Magazine. I still boil 75 sacks, 50 sacks, sometimes high as 100 sacks of crawfish here in one day. To your table, covered in newspaper, of course. Oh, no, thank you very much, honey. You have a good day. You too. Yes, it wouldn't be Easter weekend in Nolens without crawfish. In fact, the first Easter here after Hurricane Katrina resembled a cultural reunion. The customers that were, you know, uh, relocated due to Katrina, they was coming back, hugging us, kissing us, crying. I mean, really so glad to have just a little uh, part of New Orleans back and a crawfish back. They came in a steady stream all morning and didn't mind waiting in line. This little four-year-old was only here to see the show. The mama crawfish, who recently went into labor and already has a family of three-week-olds the size of the Duggars. Then there's the blue crawfish with the purplish belly. And then in the center ring is the crawfish with not two, but three pinchers on one claw. That's all he's here for. Have you ever eaten a crawfish? No. Are you going to taste one for Easter? No. Why not? Because I don't like crawfish. When I was growing up, we were always told that the way you could tell if a crawfish was boiled alive or dead was it was dead before if the tail was straight, but it was boiled alive if the tail had a curl to it. But here they tell me that's not necessarily true. The way you can tell, they say, is you break off the tail from the head. If there's meat sticking out of the tail part, that means it was boiled alive. If the meat is all in the head part, that means it was boiled when it was dead. And it may be mushy or maybe not good for you. And everyone seems to have the same idea, whether you're eating at home or down at Tracy's in the Irish Channel. 
crawfish being a, a big runner this week, and it's phenomenal. Big sales, plenty of it going out. Meg Ferris, Channel 4, Eyewitness News. And if you would like to see the video clip and not just hear that audio, you can go to the, uh, the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. I'd like the chef salad, please, with the oil and vinegar on the side and the apple pie a la mode. Chef and apple a la mode. But I'd like the pie heated, and I don't want the ice cream on top. I want it on the side, and I'd like strawberry instead of vanilla if you have it. If not, then no ice cream, just whipped cream, but only if it's real. If it's out of the can, then nothing. Not even the pie? No, just the pie, but then not heated. Uh-huh. I'll have what she's having. Now, if you're planning to boil your own crawfish, or if you happen to be invited to your first crawfish boil, you might find the following tips helpful. You know, first of all, how many crawfish do you need to have a successful boil? Well, generally, you uh, calculate about five pounds of live crawfish per adult. Now, my kids can eat, <laughs> and they love crawfish. And personally, we don't mind eating leftover crawfish the next day. You know, I've been known to put a dent in a sack of crawfish, and so is Big D. So I got a 35-pound sack on Easter Sunday, even though we were only three adults. We did have one tray left over, by the way, which we dutifully and happily ate the next day. Uh, you know, you need more than just crawfish to have a crawfish boil. You need propane to heat up the pot. You need the seasonings, the lemon juice, garlic, potatoes, corn, mushrooms, onions, asparagus, artichokes, sausage, and anything else you want to throw in there. Uh, now, not everyone throws all this stuff in their boils. Uh, the standards are corn and potatoes, but we also do garlic. Man, I love that garlic. It's like butter. It's unreal. It's so good. But, you know, people can smell you from miles around uh, for days. <laughs> we also do uh, mushrooms. Now, sometimes we do sausage, too, uh, but my guess is that on average we spend about... $120 each time we boil. Uh, but that doesn't include the beer. That's that's extra. Now, everybody has their own favorite seasoning blend, and we're partial to the dump and boil or the pour and boil bags made by Louisiana Fish Fry Company. I have a link to that, by the way, in the show notes at catholicfoodie.com. Uh, one bag is sufficient. I'm talking about the big bags now. One of the large bags is sufficient for an average sack of crawfish, which is between 35 and 40 pounds. Now, once the water is brought to a boil and the seasoning is dumped in and stirred, you have to taste the water. You have to. Now, this is like key. Uh, just make sure you let it cool a little bit first. We're talking about boiling water here, you know. Uh, sometimes we might need to add some extra cayenne, maybe some extra salt. It just depends. Uh, one of our secret ingredients, and by secret, I mean you can't tell anybody we do this, okay? It's, this is just between me and you. One of our secret ingredients is concentrated lemon juice. You know, we pour in at certain strategic times as many as six bottles of concentrated lemon, lemon juice, and uh, it's amazing how much that lemon impacts the flavor of the crawfish. It's incredible. And I'm not saying that just, you know, because it's the way I do it. But I've had many other people who've eaten our crawfish who've, who've raved about it, and they're like, man, what is that? There's just something about it. Well, guess what? It's the secret ingredient. That's what it is. But anyway, <laughs> yummy. Man, you talk about yummy. So we cut heads of garlic open horizontally also, and we, we place uh, the garlic and the potatoes in a lingerie bag. Uh, you know, you can get those bags at the, I don't know, I guess we get them at like uh, Walgreens or someplace like that. Uh, little lingerie bags where you can put your socks in there so you keep your socks together. Well, they work great for crawfish boils. You just take a lingerie bag and put the corn, uh, the garlic rather, and the potatoes. You can put the corn in there too if you if you're into that. We normally do our corn inside. Uh, the last several years we've been doing that. We don't actually put the corn in the uh, in the boil itself, mainly because well, it it, it soaks up the spice. It's very hot. Uh, but the thing that that I don't like about it is it often kills the kernels. You know, it's the, the water is so hot, and sometimes it's hard to get because it's, everything else is in there, right? All these crawfish, everything else, it's hard to really get all those, uh, the corn of the cob out of the boil in time before it just really kills the, kills the, I like crunchy corn on the cob. So there, that that's what I do. Uh, anyway, so we do that inside, but we do put the, the garlic and the potatoes in the lingerie bag, zip that up, throw it in the pot, and we throw it in the pot 
really shortly after, right after the 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 seasoned water is boiling. Just drop that uh, lingerie bag in there and let it boil until it's time to dump the crawfish in. Um, now, another detail, actually, there's several details that we're very meticulous about when it comes to crawfish. You know, we're very meticulous uh, about uh, washing them really well. Sometimes you hear this referred to as purging the crawfish. Uh, but we do this by putting them into a large ice chest and then repeatedly filling it up with cool water and then letting it drain. Uh, and we, how many times do we do this? Well, as, as many times as, as is necessary, right? I mean, it depends. We do it until the water starts to run clean through the drain. So that's when you know your crawfish are purged, they're clean, and uh, we just do that over and over again. You just don't want the, the crawfish to be sitting in the water too long without it draining because uh, they can drown. They, they can die. Uh, another detail that we're very meticulous about is the amount of water we boil in. You don't want too much water because that just dilutes the seasoning. You also don't want too little because in order for the crawfish to cook properly, they actually need to be in the water. So the good thing is that after the first time or two that you boil in a new pot, like the new pot I got last year, a water line forms so you'll always know how much water to add the next time. I was very happy this, you know, Easter Sunday evening was the first time that we had boiled crawfish uh, this year at home, you know, our own home. So uh, I was very happy when I pulled that pot out and I saw that line. I was like, oh, thank goodness. I'm, 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 I know exactly how much water to use. So <laughs> it's very, very good. But anyway, before dumping the crawfish into the pot, we remove the potatoes and the garlic and the crawfish go in. And now that is a two-man job. You're talking about... 35 to 40 pounds of crawfish in a uh, big ice chest. You, you, it's more than one person needs to safely, uh, you need more than one person to safely put those crawfish into, into the pot. So um, the potatoes and garlic we keep on the side for a little while. And I have a, a big wooden paddle that I use to stir the crawfish in the pot. And uh, after the crawfish are added, you know, they don't have to achieve a rolling boil. You know, we hear that, that term, right, a crawfish boil or boiling crawfish, but they do not have to achieve a rolling boil. You know, I, what I do is I start the timer for 9 or 10 minutes, depending on how many pounds of crawfish I have, 9 or 10 minutes once they go in the pot. And then I stir from time to time, and after 10 minutes, I cut the heat. That's it. I cut the heat. And uh, then it's just soak time. And, man, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of soaking. <laughs> soaking is what makes it, right? It's by soaking the crawfish uh, that they soak up the heat and the flavor. You know, as a, as a general rule, the longer they soak, the hotter they get. So we usually start tasting them after about 20 minutes of soaking. Uh, but we might not start serving the platters until about 30 minutes after they've been soaking. We just test, you know, taste it along the way, test it out and see. Um, and we don't just dump the whole pot on the table either. I know a lot of people across South Louisiana, they do that. Boy, they, they soak for 15, 20 minutes, maybe even 30 minutes. They, they, pull the, they have a, a big sieve that goes into the pot. They use that uh, as – we don't even use that. We, I have one. I just don't ever use it. But they'll pull that big thing out and just dump the crawfish across a big old table – on top of, of newspaper, and everybody, everybody just goes to town. Well, we, we don't do it that way at home. What we do is uh, we pull them out one platter at a time. Uh, that way, the ones that we pull out are always hot. We're always eating hot crawfish. And the ones that are in the pot, that stay in the pot as we progress through our meal, just get spicier. <laughs> and, and there's nothing but good about that, you know. Nothing but good. So uh, we don't dump the whole thing out. We just pull them out in batches. And, you know, by the time it's all said and done, some of those crawfish might soak for an hour before we pull them out. And you know what? Secretly, those are probably the most delicious ones. <laughs> they're hot. And they're spicy. They're just, mm-mm-mm. They're good. Anyway, here's one last tip that I can share with you today. You know, a few years ago, we started wearing, this is probably another secret, you may not want to tell many people this, but we started wearing uh, latex disposable gloves to eat crawfish. Uh, why? Because, you know, those crawfish are soaking in cayenne. <laughs> and that cayenne soaks into your skin, 
And believe me, it does burn. It burns your hands in general. It's kind of a kind of a general burn. But in addition to that, I would not recommend you touching your eyes or any other sensitive areas of your body um, for a while, several hours, maybe till the next day, okay? <laughs> it will burn. I'm telling you, it will burn you. Uh, it's just something. It's kind of like dealing with uh, jalapeno peppers or something. It's the oils and the peppers that soaks into your skin, and you can't. It doesn't matter how many times you wash your hands. You're not getting that cayenne out right away. It's going to take a while before that cayenne goes away. So, uh, what we started doing is wearing these latex disposable gloves. And I think the reason that we started this originally is when our children were younger. Uh, and we had to do things like change diapers or get something out of their eye. You know, we we started to uh, wear those gloves just to just to keep. They're not foolproof, you know. Uh, they don't work a hundred percent, but it does help to keep some of the, that uh, that spice, that cayenne, off your fingers and out of your pores, um, and it makes it easier to live <laughs> after you finish enjoying those deliciously hot crawfish. So, uh, just another tip that I share with you, and uh, hopefully you find that useful. Now, another question that, that some folks have asked me over the years is, you know, how, especially folks who aren't from here, how do you peel a crawfish? You know, what if you're going to a crawfish boil for the first time? What about peeling a crawfish? You know, well, it may seem like a lot of work, you know, when you think about it, but, but you get used to it. And uh, when you do it, you kind of get into a rhythm and you get pretty fast, you know. Uh, I made a video, I think it was a couple of years ago, of char peeling a crawfish, and uh, I'm going to play a clip of that for you in just a moment. I just re-did uh, that that video. Um, the way I had it set up before, I had about a minute's worth of music and uh, still photos in the beginning, kind of like a tribute to crawfish and how good they are. I had that play in there before the actual um, demonstration of peeling a crawfish came on. So I went, I went in early today and I fixed that. And uh, even added a, a little extra bonus track there of uh, peeling a crawfish. And anyway, so I'm going to post that in the show notes over at CatholicFoodie.com. You can go there to check that out. But um, anyway, I just I just have to say that uh, you know when I was growing up, you, because you hear when you hear about crawfish, one of the things you hear about is sucking the heads, right? Uh, but I want to tell you that when I grew up, or as I was growing up, I did not suck the heads. You know, I didn't start sucking the heads until I met Char. Now, here's the deal. You're not really sucking the heads, and I really don't suck the heads. What you're trying to do is get the fat out of the head part of the body. And I'm, when I say the head part, it's when you break the crawfish in half, when you take the tear the tail off, there's a body in the, in the head, and you're really getting the fat out of the body cavity, body body part of the of the crawfish. And if well, if you look at the video, if you watch the video, you'll see what I'm talking about. <laughs> so technically, you know, I don't suck them even today. Uh, I stick my pinky finger in there, and I pull the fat out, and I eat it right off my finger. Okay. Um, was that too much information? <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. If you eat crawfish, please do not waste the fat. It's the best and most flavorful part. You know, I start twitching when I'm at a crawfish boil, and I look over and I see people throwing the fat away. Oh my goodness! It's it's only my strong sense of social propriety that keeps me from grabbing those heads and digging the fat out myself. But um, anyway, there, I said it. <laughs> Eat crawfish and cherish the fat, okay? Eat crawfish and cherish the fat. You gotta respect the fat. Enough said. Mm-hmm. Huh? All right. I don't leave that little bit either. Awesome. 
This one has some nice pretty claws. I bite it down at the base of the um, mm -hmm. claw. Give it a little. Right, right, right there. Beautiful. There you go. Beautiful. Awesome. Awesome. Mm. I even twist this a little bit. I'm pretty meticulous when it comes to uh... mm -hmm. doing it all in slow motion for y'all. Because mm -hmm. normally it's pretty fast, right? Normally it's not faster. I keep trying to follow your movement with the camera. It's kind of hard when you. A nice, pretty claw. Gracie, you want to eat the claw? Happy birthday. The birthday, you want to be girl? birthday girl. Look at that. Mmm. How is it, girl? The red one. You want the red one? Mmm. <laughs> mmm. Mm -hmm. So, Daddy. Ooh, look at that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Be careful. All right. All right, let me return here. to the bed. And then show them how you do that. Yeah, break this open. Okay. And then I just kind of suck the juice did you, out. Did you push it up with your your thumb? Is that how you did it? I did. Yeah. There wasn't any fat in it. Push it up with then your thumb. Then I push. Yeah, I push the, in, the inside. Okay. Uh -huh. All right. Mm. There you go. Good crawfish. All done. Hey, I have now some you can out for see that too, and like. Quick motion. Okay. Oh, you want me to do it faster? Yeah. Let me okay. show you. They need water. Doing it fast. Yes, water. Okay, this one's not as large, but. Uh, Mom, Victoria needs help healing. Okay, sweetie. Mm. I'm not in a race or anything, but. No. Mm. Done? And here's the chef. Oh, you still got the head to do. You do the head? I'm missing. Oh, okay. You finished? Huh? Yeah. They're getting there. Oh, the big one. Wow, something smells good. Those, uh, goodies in there. Granny, Granny Pocket, the goody lady? My goodness, she makes some good goodies. She's got a thing. It's like a, uh, it's like a, uh, cookies, shortbread chocolate icing between very, it's good. Uh, it's very good. Well, you know that, uh, I hope, I hope you enjoyed that crawfish, uh, little feast there that we share with you. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, something else happened just this past week, uh, the French Quarter Festival, annual festival there. And I want to share with you uh, a few things about the French Quarter Fest. We were there on uh, the, the last Friday, this past Friday. We spent the day over there at the French Quarter Fest. And uh, it's just a, it's a celebration of New Orleans heritage, its culture, uh, both with music and food and, and dancing. And uh, it was just a glorious day. It really was. I mean... Zero humidity. Uh, it's probably about 70, 76 degrees. Uh, sunny, not a cloud in the sky, and man, it was just it was just glorious. But uh, here are a few facts about the French Quarter Festival, like what it is and what it's all about. You know, it was first produced in nineteen eighty four as a way to bring residents back to the quarter following the World's Fair and extensive sidewalk repairs in the French Quarter. Uh, the French Quarter Festival is the largest free music festival in the South. 22 stages throughout the French Quarter celebrate the local music and represent every genre from traditional and contemporary jazz to R&B, New Orleans funk, brass bands, folk, gospel, Latin, Zydeco, classical, cabaret, and international. New Orleans' uh, great restaurants create the world's largest jazz brunch in Jackson Square, the old U.S. Mint, and Waldenburg Riverfront Park during the festival weekend. And in 2011, right, last year, 2011, the French Quarter Festival attendance was over 533,000 people. Wow. Over 533,000 people. Man, it's amazing. And also in 2011, uh, the French Quarter Festival generated a total economic impact of more than $246 million. That's pretty big. Pretty big. 
French Quarter Fest employs more than 850 local musicians during the festival weekend, and it also hosts over 70 local restaurants, which make up the world's largest jazz brunch. Now, tourism officials call the French Quarter Festival the kickoff to festival season in New Orleans. And uh, what started as a neighborhood festival and a locals event has grown into one of the largest music festivals in the United States. Uh, Locals Lanyap Day was launched last year in 2011, and the French Quarter Festival officially became a four-day event. In 2012, there was even more festival to enjoy with extended hours on opening day, Thursday, April 12th. And the next year, uh, we're going to have the 30th anniversary of this exciting and beloved festival. Now, what's so amazing is, and this is the, the kickoff to festival season, we do have down here. I mean, I've said it before, just something about this area of the country, this, this our culture, what we have down here, we love to celebrate. Any reason for a party is pretty much good enough for us. Nice weather, good music, I mean, whatever it may be. And, uh, and, and we, we love to be outside. And so having these festivals, a big, t- big, big deal. And, you know, we have like the you know, Strawberry Festival. We have the, uh, well, Jazz Fest is coming up. Jazz Fest, world-renowned festival. People from all over the world come to Jazz Fest in New Orleans. Uh, that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. Uh, we have Greek Fest that I go to every year. You know, the family here, we go to Greek Fest. Uh, but there are festivals all along South Louisiana. South Louisiana is all I know as far as festivals in Louisiana. South Louisiana is all I know. But you've got a festival for just about everything. Strawberry Fest. I mean, we got, it's just amazing. But this one, right, the French Quarter Fest, kicks it all off for us every year. And that's pretty cool. Uh, now, the music. What about the music? You know, we have, they have 22 stages. And on 21 of those stages, uh, only Louisiana artists are featured um, and you know, but the fest the festival does host one international stage where traditional jazz bands from all over the world perform. But on twenty twenty one of the twenty two stages, only Louisiana artists are featured. That's a really it's a good thing. It's a local community event that's really for the local community. But I mean, other people come from other places too. But you know what I'm trying to say? It's 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 a good thing. Definitely a good thing. So part of the great appeal of French Quarter festivals that the attendees get a true an authentic New Orleans experience. You know, locals and visitors alike can hear a broad range of artists and a diverse variety of musical styles and genres. Uh, the French Quarter Festival is committed to keeping traditional jazz alive and features New Orleans' finest artists throughout the four days of the festival on stages all over the French Quarter. You know, a new music stage has been added or was added in 2012, which brought the total to 22. Now, I do have to explain maybe that if you've ever been to New Orleans, you'll know this. The French Quarter is kind of sandwiched in between uh, one section of the city, an old section of the city, and then the, the, the central business district. So it's kind of down there, kind of tucked in, and the river's on the other side. It's really kind of blocked in. So when they talk about the French Quarter Fest, it's not just in one location. There's actually multiple locations. I think you may have heard me refer to them before, you've got Waldenburg Park, which is right there on the riverfront. That's where we were all day on Friday. Uh, we, we stayed there. We didn't travel around. But Jackson Square had events. They also had food out there. And also the, uh, the U.S. Mint, the old U.S. Mint, they had uh, an area out there with stages and also food. So, you know, it's kind of spread out. It's not just in one compact spot. It's, it's spread out throughout the, the perimeter, really, of of the French Quarter. And uh, so we stayed most of the time right there in Waldenburg Park. So when I talk to you in a minute about the food, you'll see that I did not have the opportunity to try everything because we we stayed put. We brought our chairs out with us. We we sat out there and sipped on a cocktail and listened to music and enjoyed the weather and 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 we didn't walk around a whole lot. You know, we stayed one spot. It was glorious. Glorious day and we just tried the food that was right there near us. Now, when, speaking about the food, yeah, I want to I want to share two excerpts with you from press releases that I received uh, about the food at the French Quarter Fest. You know, the first excerpt is about a new cookbook related to the fest, and the second excerpt is about some of the dishes that were offered at the fest, and then after that I will tell you what we tried while we were there. 
Uh, this is the first one. This is about the um, this cookbook. There's a, a special edition cookbook, New Orleans Classic Brunches. Uh, it makes perfect sense at the Big Easy with its knack for nostalgia as well as its passion for living in the moment and savoring it would be the home of so many decadent recipes for that most luxurious of meals, brunch, especially for the world's largest jazz brunch during the annual French Quarter Festival. Pelican Publishing Company has produced a special signed and numbered limited edition of the new book in Kit Wall's classic New Orleans series to be released on March 15th, so it's already out. And there's a link, by the way, in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. In this gorgeously photographed book, Wall has compiled 50 recipes from the city's legendary restaurants and chefs, complete with straightforward instructions for attaining easy excellence at uh, any time of the day. Uh, We're toasting, is a quote, we're toasting New Orleans' greatest entertainers, food, music, and the leisure to enjoy them. Festival Executive Director uh, Marcy Schramm and her colleagues give us that opportunity, says author Kit Wall. The city's legendary and quirky restaurants provided both traditional and unconventional recipes for a close-up of our magical customs. The chefs comprise an honor roll of New Orleans' best, from highfalutin to down-home they create the greatest neighborhood food in America. We know this to be true. That's a promise. The French Quarter Festival serves up the world's largest jazz brunch, rollicking through historic Jackson Square, the View Carré Parks, and the Riverfront. Each spring is a free showcase of traditional and contemporary jazz, rhythm and blues, New Orleans funk, Zydeco, brass bands, folk, opera, and gospel, seasoned with fun in a four-day second line, it's a fest with a feast celebrated by New Orleans' best, great food, music, and dancing in the streets. Tips, techniques, culinary escapades, and inspirations from these masters accompany the recipes. If you know what it means to miss New Orleans, this cookbook is for you. If you've never been here, plan a visit for French Quarter Festival and relish a meal you've only dreamed about. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> That's the press release. The press release for this cookbook, New Orleans Classic Brunches, link, a link, is in the show notes at catholicfoodie.com. Now, the other excerpt I want to read to you uh, from the French Quarter Festival's press releases, uh, just an excerpt here, is about the some, of the some of the dishes that are served and some of the restaurants that are represented. I mean, it's really amazing. You know, it says... You know, the 2012 festival welcomes nine new restaurants, including Galatoire's, K. Paul's Louisiana Kitchen, Blue Dot Donuts, Three Muses, Maximo's Italian Grill, Grand Isle Dini's, uh, Lacioni's Meat Pies Restaurant, and PJ's Coffee and Tea in New Orleans. Um, French Quarter Festival annually features authentic local cuisine from the area's finest restaurants, including festival favorites such as crawfish and goat cheese crepes, Couchon de la Boys, crawfish bisque, Oysters bon femme, hot boiled crawfish, grilled chicken livers with pepper jelly, sweet potato pie, bourbon barbecue shrimp, prime debris po'boys, a beat of beer, snowballs, and more. Foodies will also enjoy lamb sliders, crawfish diavolo, baked Alaska, and boudin balls. In addition to the food offerings, the festival offers an array of refreshing beverages, including a beat of beer, absolute vodka, Malibu rum, and Jameson cocktails and daiquiris. Pepsi products, including Aquafina, Gatorade, Pat O'Brien's Hurricanes, Tropical Isle Hand Grenades, and Skinny Hand Grenades, WWOZ's Mango Freeze, and the Plum Street Snowballs. Now, with an additional fourth location in Jackson Square. So keep that in mind for next year. Uh, menu items range in price from 4 to $8 to keep the festival not only fun, but affordable. Uh, so this is really pretty awesome. You know, it says... Um, In order to maintain the authenticity and quality of the cuisine, the Jazz Brunch Committee follows specific criteria for participating in the world's largest jazz brunch. In order to qualify, vendors must be dine-in restaurants and New Orleans restaurants are given first preference. French Quarter Festival features neighborhood favorites including Antoine's, Desire Oyster Bar, Galatoire's, GW Finn's, Muriel's, Quarter Two Sisters, The Bombay Club, Benichin, Praline Connection, and Two Jags, many of whom participated in the first ever French Quarter Festival in 1984. So it goes on, it goes on, but I'm going to leave it at that. You talk about uh, fun. 
It's fun. It was a lot of fun. And it's free. You get in for free, which is fantastic. You want to bring an ice chest? You can. You're allowed to do that. You can go in, uh, find a seat, just chill, relax, uh, enjoy yourself there, listen to music, and try some good food. They had fish tacos from GW Fins we tried. We had some, uh, I had a, a, a Natchitoches meat pie from, I think it was Mrs. Wheat's uh, pies, and also a crawfish pie from her. Also, we had, golly, we had Plum Street Snowballs. <laughs> we had a list of, uh, a list of things here. Christopher had a, a Couchon de Lay po'boy. We had, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget everything we had. We had some good stuff. Vietnamese stuffed chicken wings with hoisin sauce. It was good stuff. Mm-mm-mm, good stuff. If you want to see pictures of uh, the day and of the food, you can go to catholicfoodie.com to find those there. I highly recommend the French Quarter Festival next year. It'll be next year, 2013. I hope to see you there. Here's a way you can be creative on a daily basis. Well, how else in your life can you actually create new things every day? And you have to eat. This Mm -hmm. is the thing we all agree on. If you're going to eat three times a day to the day that you die, why not be good at it? Well, folks, we've come to the end of another show. I just have a few things to tell you before we close down the kitchen for the night. First of all, I want to remind you that SQPN, the StarQuest Production Network, is in the middle of its giving campaign. You are, if, are you a friend of SQPN? <laughs> I am. If not, become one. Go to sqpn.com and click on the Donate button on the right side of the screen. It is so important for us to support good Catholic content online, and SQPN is committed to producing excellent Catholic content. So please do become a friend of SQPN today. And also, it is not too early to start thinking about the CNMC, the Catholic New Media Conference. That's coming up in August. You can go to sqpn.com and find out more about that as well. I also want to ask you if you have a, a moment to go to iTunes and to leave a review of the Catholic Foodie Podcast. Uh, you can uh, leave just a, just a five-star rating. is great, but you can also leave your comments there too. I would really appreciate that. Uh, you know, you can find The Catholic Foodie, more of The Catholic Foodie, over on Facebook at facebook.com slash catholicfoodie. Uh, I'm on Twitter, twitter.com slash catholicfoodie. Also, Google+. Plus. If you're on Google+, Plus, the easiest way to reach The Catholic Foodie is just to go to catholicfoodie.com slash plus, and that'll take you over to the, the plus page there. Um, and I think that pretty much wraps it up for us today, folks. Don't forget to check out the show notes at catholicfoodie.com. And until next time... Bon appétit.